Hello and thank you for checking out this episode of Season 2 of the From the Frontline podcast. Each episode we'll be interviewing a key voice from the NHS or social care to discuss some of the key challenges and changes that impact the treatment and care we all receive. Throughout this podcast series we'll be answering some of the big questions which face health and social care today, such as why are there massive delays in A&E, how do we beat the NHS winter crisis, and how can we make the future of digital health accessible for all. We hope that you'll finish each episode knowing a little bit more about the major NHS headlines and what needs to change if we are to deliver the best possible care for everyone in the UK. The From the Frontline podcast is brought to you by PLMR Healthcoms, who are part of the PLMR group. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone and welcome to the From the Frontline podcast. My name is Sev and today I'm delighted to be joined by Partha Carr, consultant in endocrinology and diabetes, National Speciality Advisor for Diabetes NHS England, Diabetes Lead at Getting It Right First Time, and Lead for the Medical Workforce Race Quality Standard NHS England. Hi, Partha. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Before we move on and chat all things diabetes and all things clinical leadership, would you be okay to give our listeners a very quick introduction to yourself and the work you've been doing in the NHS? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, in short, uh, my name is Partha. As mentioned, I'm a consultant in diabetes. I work in Portsmouth. And uh, apart from that, I've got a few other national roles. The primary one being as National Specialty Advisor for NHS England in diabetes. And I have done this role for about seven years and a bit now. A lot of it is involved in access to technology, type 1 diabetes, looking at variation in hospitals, safety measures. And of course, working with a broader team about things like you know, prevention of type 2 diabetes and remission and all that sort of stuff. And not to mention interactions with Department of Health and NICE and MHRA and you name it. So sort of bridging gap. So yeah, that, that, that's pretty much the sort of remit of the role, I would say. For our listeners I don't know, diabetes is a long-term condition um, where a person's blood glucose level is often too high. Um, it can happen when someone's body doesn't produce enough insulin when the insulin it produces isn't effective or when the body can't produce any insulin at all. There are two types of diabetes, type 1 and type 2. Um, When you've got type 1 diabetes, your body can't make any insulin. And with type 2 diabetes, the insulin you make either doesn't work effectively or your body doesn't produce enough of it. Both types of diabetes are very different conditions, but both are equally as serious. There is currently no cure for diabetes. So for people living with the condition, Effective management is vital for their health, their well-being, and for their loved ones. Uh, the filming of this podcast, as I'm sure you know, Partha, has come at a very great time, as it's currently Diabetes Awareness Week. Um, so I guess the first thing would be if you could give us an overview of diabetes management, what that is, what that means, and then I guess kind of more importantly, how, how that's changed across the NHS over the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I think you can, as you said, there are many types of diabetes. So I think I'll try and summarize it as best as I can. I think in the space of type 2 diabetes, a lot of focus has shifted towards how do we prevent it? Or if you've got type 2 diabetes, how can we put into remissions, which is very exciting research and lots of work going on to it. Lots of efforts to try and get that embedded in the NHS as a concept. So there's a lot of excitement there. And then there are newer drugs available, which really does tackle longer term outcomes like heart failure and kidney failure. So a very different space from where we were 10 years ago. Uh, Having said that, diet, lifestyle still continues to be the cornerstone of that. But there are much more innovative and different ways of looking at it. Definitely, you know, from a clinical point of view, I would say type 2 diabetes has huge changes. 
Then you talk about type 1 diabetes. I think the fundamental change that's happened in the NHS is we move to a space where technology has tended to, you know, be more of a backseat in the past. And I think we have moved to a place um, not just in the UK, but throughout Europe and globally, we're one of the forerunners right now with the access that we have. So it's become more standard care, and that's changed a lot of the dynamics because it's been pushing a lot of the self-management side of things and peer support between people living with type 1 diabetes. So there has been a fundamental change there as well because, you know, we, we moved away. There's been a big paradigm shift from the days when you, you know, you had to prick your fingers to now sort of you can scan yourself and then we're talking about artificial pancreas coming. So it's, it's a very different space from there. So, yeah, that, that's probably a summary as to where care has been, care is. So, yeah, those, those are the issues. Fab, cheers, Parthen, I guess. I know at the moment there's a quite a, a, a landmark piece of guidance going through NICE at the moment around kind of the hybrid closed loop technology. Could I guess could you give could you give us a, an overview of kind of what the artificial pancreas is, the opportunities that presents, and I guess what lessons you've learned from that that you think NH Signal or NICE may be able to kind of take away and use in kind of guidance creation in the future. I know there's been kind of particular focuses on kind of data, on kind of involvement of of the wider space. So kind of what's your experience with that been? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we have done it slightly differently. And I think in the technology space, the NHS is quite, uh, I wouldn't say naive, but it's, it tends to really feel its way as to what they want to do. And the traditional approach towards drugs, the NICES doesn't work. Because I, I have, I've said this before, if you look at the process of time it takes for RCTs, randomized control trials, to come out and assess and everything, you're talking about, you know, just about approving Betamax when Blu-ray and everything is the, you know, is a thing. So I think what we have done in this closed loop in the artificial pancreas space, so before going on to that, I think a little short description of what it is, is fundamentally changing the way we do type 1 diabetes. We talked about sensors now moving away from finger pricking to non-invasive sensors. And uh, the delivery system of that is normally by insulin pens. We want to move up that towards where it's done by an insulin pump. Exciting bit is the sensor and the pump literally talking to each other via an algorithm and doing a lot of the work. So it's not the fully, you know, fully automated pancreas. We're not quite there yet with the science, but I would say it's probably the best thing beyond a cure that science can offer at the present moment with people with type 1 diabetes. And uh, yeah, we're, we're quite proud that uh, we hopefully are on the cusp of offering that to a significant part of the type 1 population, which would again, you know, put us very much at the forefront, uh, you know, globally where we can access this uh, funded by the taxpayer. So that's uh, where which we are. Um, but I think to your question, my, my tip always would be the interaction between NICE, the interaction between science, uh, industry, and doing real-world data collection, and most important, the policymakers, is, has been absolutely crucial. It has to be in sync. And most of the time, it's not. And I keep on saying this to our academic colleagues, is that if you're giving advice to industry and you're picking trials and stuff, that to me as a policymaker, I know it's not going to fly. You're wasting the time, money of everybody. And you need to be nimble enough to think about right at the very outset, look, if I want my science and my passion and my research to be in the lives of people, you have to go and talk to the policy people at the start, right? Not, not after you've done it. And I think that that would be my tip is that if you can do it that way, structured way, you can definitely get things through. Fab, no, cheers, Bath. That's really interesting. I guess I know that the technology appraisal should be out by the end of the year, shouldn't it? So I guess if you if we if we could look forward, if you did this interview in kind of one year, this interview in five years, I guess where would you where would you hope the diabetes space is 
is kind of going in that one year, five year time timeline? So in one year time, I think the NHS will be uh, rolling it out. No question. Uh, I'm pretty confident. Uh, in five years time, I think this will become standard care. So, and I say this uh, without any hesitation because in 2018, I did a similarish interview when I said, hey, listen, non-invasive sensors will become standard care. And it has, it takes, it takes time, but five years is still lightning pace by the NHS standards, right? So, uh, but I think it will become, it will become uh, common. It will become common, common standard practice for type one diabetes in five years. Yes, I do. Fab, and, and I guess if, if there are barriers to that, what, what do you think the kind of the existing barriers are to that kind of maybe five year, five year timeline? What, what has to change between now and then to make, to make that standard of practice? So there are three main barriers, right? Four, if you push it. I mean, number one is, of course, finances. Always comes forward, right? NHS always struggling. So that's one, which we recognize and we're working on it. Number two is workforce, right? Do you have the people to actually put people on it? And I think this is where we need to reach out to industry and have their support and onboarding. And we are very clear that that's got to be part of the strategy. There's no point in saying, well, we don't have staff, so we're not going to do it at all. Industry are there, hungry to start or start their products. So we must use their expertise. That's just silly not to. Uh, then you have the third one is the willingness. And I think it's important to understand uh, it's not the willingness from the pe people living with diabetes, it's willingness from the providers. And I've, and I've done all that dance for five years with flash glucose and Dexcom and all that. It's not as simple as if there was money, it would be sorted, right? It's not. And I can absolutely guarantee you it's not um, because I'll give you one simple example. We have had a TA on an insulin pump funded, legally mandated for 15 years. The uptake in adults is about 12%. That's not nothing to do with money. And I know that I did the GERFT work where I went around the hospital looking at their reasons and why they hadn't done it. Initiative initiative is an issue, right? They're not everywhere. The majority are quite committed, but there are pockets which needs to be tackled. And the final fourth one, I'd say, is industry themselves and the supply chains that they can run. So I think that's going to be very important is that we don't build up expectations. And then we go, oh, sorry, we don't have the kit. That's that's definitely not going to be a pleasant place to be in. So I think those are the four challenges. I would divide it up and we hope we've got a strategy for each one of them. So let's see. No, great news. I guess, like, like I said before, I think, I guess with the, with the technology appraisal, what was so good about it was that everyone was kind of in that room together, kind of speaking and working together. Do you think that could be a, a standard moving forward? Do you think if, if the TA is going to be implemented so well, do you think everyone needs to kind of work together moving forwards? I, I have always said I'm very happy to share what we have done, right? This is not a roll off a dice in the dark or a Hail Mary pass that we have tried. This has been a lot of thinking and strategy behind it. And a fundamental part of this is getting everybody around the table and having that sort of wit to do that. You know, we've had success with our flash. We've had success with our CGM in pregnancy. And it's been a very structured approach as to how we have said we're going to do some real-world data collection. We have gone back to NICE before we did the data collection. Thing. What is it that you exactly want that will help you? Because there is absolutely no point in doing data collection. The NICE goes like, well, this is not what we need. You wasted your time and money. So that has been fundamental to the part of the how we've delivered. It. And, you know, NICE, have, you know, it's been give and take. And NICE have said, look, if you get us the right data, we will look into it. And they have. So... And then you get around the table, you talk about it, you talk about the sort of patient impact, quality of life beyond the numbers. They're all important. And uh, yeah, so I, I think hopefully, you know, it opens the door for many other technology to follow this route. I mean, there's no reason you can't. There's absolutely no reason you can't. No, that's great. That's really interesting, Paul. Thank you. And I guess, I mean, the, the, the impact um, that you're having and kind of your colleagues across the NHS are having for patients with diabetes across the NHS, it is kind of must be so clear to you now. And I guess the work you've done in, 
in that in that time period. Um, during your time as National Specialty Advisor for Diabetes, what would you say so far has been your biggest achievement? I think I've always said, you know, I think it's very easy to say technology, right? But I think you take a step back in my fundamentals of what I believe about chronic disease, and which is where I think the NHS gets it wrong. That's my view. I mean, more clever people than me will disagree. But I think if you want to change chronic disease, you really have to focus on self-management and peer support. And we do a lot of lip service towards it, but we don't do much about it. Technology is your perfect way where you're doing that. And that's why this has been so, you know, taken up so much and it's got outcomes to show. Because with this technology, you're saying to people, hey, listen, I'm just going to make life a little bit better for you to live your life every day. Here is this device. Here is some education, what to do with your numbers and curves. And guess what? That also encourages the peer support because people are talking to each other, discussing their numbers, looking at their graphs. And I think that's a very important part. So I think <clears throat> I'm quite proud I would say that I've changed the paradigm of thinking of saying that, no, put the patient in charge, genuinely, not hashtags and not nice glossy PowerPoints. You can do it with technology and then you can see the benefits, right? We've just had data on the continuous glucose monitors in pregnancy. And that's so powerful to see you've got reduction in babies going into ITUs, you know, all of that. And that's not because professionals necessarily, it's because you're just giving the mothers a better kit to look after their diabetes day in, day out. So that's my philosophy. And that's probably what I, you know, when I when I leave, when my time's up, I think that's, that's a legacy I'll be quite proud of. No, absolutely. And I guess, like you said, that, that must be, that must be um, you must be able to replicate that across other chronic diseases and across other major conditions, right? I know the government are in the process of um, putting together their major condition strategy, which kind of covers a lot yeah. of other kind of major chronic conditions. And I guess you must think those those lessons must be translatable. You hope so. I mean, I think, you know, uh, you know, we're here, right? We're here. Our data's public. We are public. People know what we're doing. Um, and it's not unknown, let's say, in the NHS space or the technology space, what we have achieved. So uh, it's up to people to take the lessons and try it, is what I would say. We, we are here. Um, uh, me and my team, very happy to sort of pass on our advice, the links with NICE, links with MHRA, all of that. So, yeah, absolutely. There's no re as I said. If it can be done in one place, right? You know, it's very easy to suck yourself into that that whole clinical leadership hero mold, right? Where people go, "Oh, it's happened because of part of that's nonsense." It's happened because we had a team, we had a structure. We, you know, it's very easy to sort of pin it on one person and say that, "Oh, it's because it's him and nobody else can do it." No, it's not true, right? I can be the spearhead in the sense of you know doing the public meetings and talk like that, but people forget the people behind the scenes who are doing the work, doing the negotiation, doing the chats. It's not a solo effort by any stretch of imagination. And that, that's a message which I'm quite keen to pass on. If we had the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care on the podcast with us now, um, mm. and he was able to grant you three wishes to transform NHS England's diabetes services, what, what, what would your three wishes be? So wish number one, I would say, is that something to tackle, uh, number one, I would say, deprivation, right? Something, because it doesn't matter how much NHS work you do or health systems you put in place. If you don't tackle deprivation, they can't come to the health system. You need to do something or amend your health system so they're poor. And let's not, inter let's not confuse that with this whole debate that we're having about race. That's a different, it's intersectionality. Depri when you say deprivation equal to race, you're depriving a lot of white children by doing that. Shouldn't do that. Deprivation is a big issue. Tackle that. You've tackled the majority of diabetes. That's number one. Number two, I would say genuine public health measures, right? If you want to tackle the rise of type two, which is the bigger issues, then that's it. And uh, that's the key. 
genuine public health measures, right? You know, whatever you need to do to crack on the you know, tax and all this sort of stuff. And the final bit, I would say, then I shift to type one. I think in the final bit, it's about open up the doors to all the technology you can. Give them the best thing you can to everybody with type one. And you would have taken away complications. So that's the way to, you know, delineate the two big populations where you will get population change and benefit over the next 10 years, 20 years. Fab, well, thank you very much for joining us today, Parth, to talk all things diabetes. That was really interesting. And I guess it'd be very, very kind of interesting to see where, where the nice tier goes over the next kind of one to five years. And hopefully, yeah, if we did do this in five years' time, we'd be able to kind of look back and say, well, you called it. So thank you for joining us, Parth, to talk about diabetes. That was um, brilliant. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the From the Frontlines podcast. If you have any thoughts about our conversation or would like to get involved in a future episode, please email fromthefrontline at healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. If you'd like to chat about our work as one of the UK's top health and social care public affairs agencies, please visit our website, healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. Thanks again for listening.